I'm Angie Coiro. This is In Deep. This hour, Spacco joins us in the studio again. He's the anonymous activist who made his mark crippling hate radio in San Francisco. He's gone on to advise multiple campaigns and companies on effective activism. He and I will review a fake book burning in Troy, Michigan, the headaches dumped in Shell's lap this week by the S-Men, and more out-of-the-box activist campaigns. That's coming up on In Deep. One of the victories we're celebrating this week is a move by Change.org. Now, up until now, the Change.org website has been known as a force for progressive good. It had petitions for pro-consumer protections, personal freedoms, defense of the disenfranchised. But March of last year, and then again in October, here came petitions from Students First and Stand for Children. Both groups fight teachers' union, and they both favor for-profit privatization of schools. Now, the first petitions were innocuous, careful not to offend. Then, Stanford Children put out the call to slam the Chicago Teachers Union for a strike vote, and that is when the liberals tried to get the wolves out of the sheep's pen. They demanded those petitions be pulled. Blogger Aaron Krager of The Political is Personal at AaronKrager.com pointed out that the values espoused by these groups were completely out of keeping with Change.org's stated mission. And this week, when Change.org announced it would conduct no new business with the groups, Aaron's work received lots of kudos. Aaron, welcome to the show, and congratulations on a job well done. Well, uh, thank you for having me, and uh, thank you. I'm just uh, was happy to be part of the pushback uh, to keep a progressive ally accountable. So, And that's interesting. We're going to definitely get into, into how progressive an ally they are. But for the people who haven't caught the story, Change.org was running two petitions. That's what they do. They run petitions, and for the most part, they've been of a progressive bent. And two petitions came in from a group called Students First and another one called Stand for Children. The, at, at first glance, these petitions looked absolutely fine, but what wasn't clear from these petitions being present on the site? Well, uh, Stand for Children uh, and uh, Students First are both part of the corporate education quote-unquote reform movement. Uh, you know, they're funded by billionaires uh, and their foundations, and they actually are trying to privatize uh, schools with charters and actually trying to dismantle uh, teachers' unions in general. And they kind of hide behind different uh, ideas. Like Students First, it's still actually running on change.org because uh, they're uh, going to uh, just allow the contract to expire. But they've run at, uh, petitions about, like, standing up against bullying, uh, being for the DREAM Act and stuff. But all that is is just to get you on their email list and then count you as a grassroots uh, advocate uh, in their movement. And it's uh, very misleading. So, so let, let, me give the, let me give that back to you, because what it sounds like is you sign for what appears to be a limited petition with a limited goal, and from that point on you're counted as someone who is standing with this group and their goals actually include, you know, the anti-union movement, the privatization movement, et cetera. So your small move is is translated onto a broader screen? Exactly. Got it. Okay. And and continue, please, you were saying. Uh, well, Stand for Children, you know, years ago was actually a, a true grassroots movement of parents in Oregon, but it's kind of been co-opted with uh, Jonah Edelman, uh, Marion Wright Edelman's son, uh, unfortunately, enough, you know, because she's such a, a good person for children and stuff, but her son has taken on this corporate agenda as well, and they tried to come in and appear like they were just trying to get both sides of Chicago public schools and teachers back to the bargaining table, 
mm-hmm. but it's very clear when you've read through the letter and stuff that it was very much blaming um, Chicago teachers and the union uh, for for the possible work uh, disruption that might happen uh, in the fall when school starts back up. You know, one of the problems with trying to see through what's going on in an issue like that is that both sides sound like they're waving the same banner. Everybody's going, it's for the children. So how can you argue with that? But, it, you know, it, it takes a little more savvy to parse through and say, yeah, it's for the children and for the corporations who can make money off of them. Yeah, it, when you get into the nitty gritty, that's when you see, I guess, what is the saying? Devils in the details is what the saying is, mm-hmm. and that's what you have to do uh, for these organizations because, you know, they, they're perfect on the elevator pitch. Oh, I work for Stand for Children. We work uh, so that all children can get quality education. Uh, nobody's going to disagree with that. Yes. But when you, when you get into the nuances and the policy ideas, a lot of people are really going to disagree with what they're doing. Something interesting evolved out of this situation, and I want to talk more when we talk to Spaco later this hour, but just to get a start on the conversation, uh, Change.org was in a position where at first they said they were inclusive. They wanted to, you know, allow everyone to benefit from the exposure the petitions have. They came out with a statement afterward that was it was kind of peculiar. It sounded like it was disowning its progressive roots. W- what did you get out of that? Are you talking about uh, the statement that they had in the Huffington Post? Yeah. Uh, with the announcement? Mm-hmm. They're, they're trying to walk a fine line with their expansion into uh, other countries. You know, they're starting to expand into a lot of Asia and um, Africa uh, and stuff like that and to empower uh, people in those respective countries. But yet then they're trying to say, about this imperialism and, and things like they don't want to bring about American progressivism. And I don't know what that exactly means, and I look forward to having a further discussion with them um, and seeing what happens, because I think what they're doing it can be some really positive work. And I think a lot of uh, citizens and activists in the countries that they're expanding into can really benefit from this platform. We're going to pick this up when we talk to Spaco. Thank you so much, Aaron Krager. Of course. Thank you. This is In Deep. I'm Angie Cuero. We are talking this hour about a number of victories that have come our precious way. It's been a very good week for liberal victories, even though some of them integrate some losses. For example, we talked last hour about what happened with Lisa Brown and Barbara Byram in Michigan. Yes, they were gagged by the Michigan state representatives. But boy, did their story make some great traction. A lot of stories like that this week. So the best person we could think of to bring in and talk about that is our own Spaco. He is the creator of Spaco's Brain. He goes only by that name. And uh, Spaco, it's nice to have you back for one thing. It's good to be here. And I wanted to tell you before we proceeded that our earlier discussion with you, which is available online, indeepradio.com, and the article that you wrote for our website to accompany that, have seen more traffic than anything else on the In Deep Radio website in the last three months. Woohoo! <laughs> I thought you'd like that. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, woohoo! <laughs> For those of you not familiar with his work, what Spaco does is he analyzes the way to get things done, whether there's something that is done by the conservatives that angers us, and we are moved to try to do a boycott or we're moved to yell back. Spaco's activism is very carefully thought out to what will work the best and what is a matter of venting that ultimately will just harm us. So we're going to parse through some of these victories we've had this week and see what he thinks of them. I think the most prominent one was all about book burning. 
And that's all I'm going to tell you. I want you to hear this entire thing. It's about three minutes. You'll love it. Here it goes. There once was a library, a beautiful, busy, award-winning library. Unfortunately, times were hard. The city of Troy, Michigan, no longer had enough money for its library. So it scheduled a vote, asking the townspeople to approve a small tax increase. This angered an anti-tax group known as the Tea Party. Well-organized and well-funded, they started posting vote-no signs, mailing flyers, and making noise. They dominated the conversation, changing the topic from library, books, and reading to taxes, taxes, taxes. With no money and an election less than a month away, the library needed help. They needed something attention-getting, audacious, maybe even vile. So we decided to form a group of our own and started planting signs around town that said, Vote to close the library August 2nd. Book-burning party August 5th. The idea of book-burning is bad enough, but gleefully making it a party... Well, that angered people enough to send them to our Facebook page. You people are sick. This is disgusting. Reject the wackos. Vote yes. But we didn't stop there. We created videos. Imagine this times 200,000. How cool is that? Posted on Twitter. The Troy Library might be short on money, but it has books to burn. Created items for sale. A book bag. How ironic. We placed newspaper ads. Created check-ins posted flyers, and lined up entertainment. You guys are booking a band? People became enraged. Why would you burn books, idiots? This is horrible. Cheap imbeciles. What the f*** is this world coming we to? We should burn your signs instead. Complete and total this idiot. is really this just down. Jerks. They posted their own links, shared with friends, debated the merits of libraries and the audacity of burning books. The conversation spread from Facebook to city council meetings, from newspapers to TV. It grew from local to national, even international news. Once it reached a fevered pitch, we revealed the true intent of our campaign. A vote against the library is like a vote to burn books. And people started posting, tweeting, and reporting all over again. In the end, we had changed the conversation completely. From taxes, 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 to library, library, library. And on August 2nd, the yes voters, voters who don't normally turn out to vote, turned out at levels 342% greater than projected. And the library won by a landslide. The town's library, its beautiful, award-winning library, had been saved. Not every story at the library has a happy ending. Fortunately, this one did. Now, lest anyone think that In Deep Radio is anti-corporate, that is a gold prize award-winning production from the Leo Burnett ARC Worldwide Advertising Agency. So you find your advocates where you can. And Spaco, that is, that is so much of what you talk about, changing the conversation, picking your target, knowing who you're talking to, knowing how to relate to them. Yeah, and exactly what was what was nice about this is that one of the big parts of it was changing the conversation, and they say it right there, from taxes to the library. It's really hard for people to visualize when something is going to go away. And if they say, oh, we're going to reduce the, the taxes a little, oh, we're going to reduce the services a little bit, we're going to close things down. What they did was they said, what are the emotions that are tied to this? If you actually close down the library, well, 
you might see that later, but you don't see it immediately. And the other thing that we notice about this one is they moved the conversation from the way that the Tea Party wanted to have it from taxes to the services that are, that are going to get lost. The other thing that, they, that this campaign was, was done was they realized that the media wasn't the initial focus. They had the action. They had the action. They wanted people to start talking on Facebook. They wanted people to start talking on Twitter. They set themselves up to be the bad guy. And in fact, one of the things that's in the video that our audience couldn't see is you saw people dashing out stealth style and plunging lawn signs in that said book burning and then the date. And it really looked as though it would have been an auction or book sale, except it said book burning. Right. That's real local. Yeah. And one of the things that they also did was they made it the anger even higher. Like they said, we're going to have a party. We're going to, and they booked a band and they had all of these various different reasons to say, if we actually did close down the library, what would happen? They wanted to have a way for people to visualize it going away and to push it further than people might even want. They might think, well, would they go that far? Probably not. But that's one of the ways that they helped people visualize it and trigger the emotion enough so they would say, this is terrible. Then they say the big reveal is like, we're not really for that. What we're really for is saving the library, and here's what you can do. And then, then it triggered an action. The action then got people to get out and vote, and they changed that conversation then. Well, let's, let's play a little pro-con here, because for one thing, this is Troy, Michigan. We all know just how horribly Michigan as a whole has been hurt, and especially their cities, by this depression that we've been in. And... I can understand not wanting to talk to them about taxes. If you propose taking more money away from someone who's already living below poverty level, it's, an, it's a non-starter. So I really commend them for taking that approach. Don't talk about the money. I wondered, though, as I watched it, some people don't like to be made the fool. Some people don't like to get all riled up and, you know, in high dudgeon against this terrible, terrible thing to find out that was never a threat at all, to find out that they've been pranked. I actually, when I when I saw what was really going on there, I thought, yay for you. And the reactions that we saw in the video were all yay for you. How does one know going into a campaign like this that that risk is worthwhile and that it will not alienate so many people as to backfire? Um, it, it depends on the it depends on the group, and I think that's the other thing too. We're going to be talking later about the uh, the Shell Oil uh, prank, another prank, and different groups have different personalities. Some groups can pull this off. In this case, they were had their back up against the wall. Not much else would work. And some groups, hey, what the heck? We're going to push it. We're going to go that way. And then when they find out, they say, all right, it worked. It's the effectiveness afterwards that sometimes is is what people want. If you're pranked and then it didn't work, then you're just kind of like, eh. <laughs> uh, also, I think one of the things that as I was coming over here, I was following a car with all these bumper stickers on its back. And it's like, going, which one is the most important one? I can't read them all. That's the other thing that people are in an environment where they have all of these various different ways that people are trying to get their attention. 
this is something that is going to get their attention. And Jay Rosen, the uh, journalist professor, recently said the media has a bias for action. You know, they have bias for those things. It's not like it's uh, one way or another. It just is there's action, there's movement, there's energy, there's emotion. And that's what this is. It's something that can give us the energy and emotion to get people to act. And once they've acted, then you're saying, is it an action that can help change something? And in this case, it was. I should note that because we do our recording in Berkeley, that car you followed with a dozen bumper stickers could have been any car in Berkeley. Couldn't mind anybody. <laughs> but it, and another thing I'm going to, to kind of localize, uh, our show is recorded in California, and here there is a battle over a tobacco tax initiative that is so close that this many weeks beyond the election, we still don't know whether California is going to be taxing cigarettes more or not. Can you think of a way, I'm really putting you on the spot here, forgive me, but can you think of a way that we could take the principles we just saw about taking it away from being about taxes and making it about book burning, that maybe the tax advocates on this might have changed the dialogue somewhat? What was the, you know, I always go back to, what was the What was the goal? What is the goal for this tax in the first place? It was about providing it, health? What, they, they were trying to generate research money for cancer, so that if you were buying cigarettes, the tax money would go to research cancer. And what may have defeated it, we don't know yet. One of the strongest points from the anti-tax people, which were, of course, large the tobacco companies, was that there was no guarantee this money was going to stay in California, that it was written in a shabby way. And although the advocates were promising it would stay in California, by golly, we're shipping California taxes out to other states. So in this place, I think the important thing would be to do is focus on what is the goal that you want to have, which is this research money in California. So what you do, if you wanted to do, it doesn't have to be a prank, was to show people that if you don't have this research money, that means cancer keeps going on. And you would show the, the scientists showing up in the lab and saying, sorry, I didn't get your money, but... Uh, Good try. You know, here, use this uh, uh, 1980 PC to do your research. Uh -huh. Some way to show people that when this money disappears, the research disappears. Talking to Spocko, the creator of Spocko's Brain, who we're privileged to have at our website occasionally, indeepradio.com. We'll find a link to his work there as well. And he'll be with us for the hour as we talk about this week's liberal victories. I'm Angie Caro. Stick around.
This is Indeed by Angie Caro, continuing our conversation with Spocko, the creator of Spocko's Brain. You'll find links to a lot of his work on our website, indeepradio.com. Some of you heard an earlier bit of conversation that we had with Aaron Krager. If you missed that, I urge you to go to our website and listen to the podcast. He did a segment with us earlier talking about his success with change.org. Org. And of course, Aaron Krager, uh, welcome back. You were not the sole person who got change.org to change its mind about what kind of petitions they should be carrying, but you were key to this. And, and to, to bring the audience up to speed, change.org had been the resting place of two petitions that ostensibly were in support of students. They were, in fact, from organizations that are for the privatization of education. And by signing those petitions, the unknowing people who thought it was all for the children would, in fact, be backing some corporate goals as well. So, um, Aaron, first let me welcome you back. Well, thank you. And I just want to make clear that uh, part of the main component that uh, was responsible for change uh, being held accountable was the CTU, a Chicago Teachers Union uh, person, Jennifer Johnson, who started a petition against change.org on a move on, sign on uh, petition site. And uh, it was about 4,000 people that signed that and were responsible for keeping change.org accountable. Good summary, and thank you. Thanks for filling in the blanks. Spaco, you spent your, you know, your entire adult life doing activism. Tell me, tell me the questions that come to mind for you. One of the things I, I'd like to know, Aaron, for people who aren't that familiar with it, is why would Michelle Rhee even want to come on to change.org? Uh, what is it about change.org that is so important? Like, why are they so effective? What's What makes them work? And, and in your answer, Aaron, if you can clarify who Michelle Rhee is and what her connection is here. Okay. Well, Michelle Rhee, uh, for those that don't know, is the former chancellor of schools in Washington, D.C. And after she resigned, um, she started an organization called Students First, and it receives funding from the likes of Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the Waltons, and uh, Rupert Murdoch himself, actually. Oh, dear. Um, but, <laughs> That's yeah. about as bad as you get. <laughs> Pretty much. But uh, the reason why I think, I mean, that goes into why it's important for her to be on a site like change.org is to come across as though this is progressive uh, change to reform schools, quote-unquote, into charters and in a privatization mode and continue the subtlety of demonizing a teacher's union. And so being able to build up progressive activist emails on change.org's uh, site is a huge uh, building block for that uh, organization. 
Right. It's, it's a fundamental deception. It starts with the name of the comp- organization, Students First. They wouldn't call it union busting, you know. <laughs> so that's one of the things they do. But also she wanted to get into change because I think change.org is one of the most effective organizations for doing this kind of activism. And exactly. one of the ways is they use the emotional things that people can already buy into. And so Michelle was trying to, trying to draft onto that ki- people who would say, we love kids and we want the good education. So here is a case of her trying to take away people's progressive uh, values and say, oh, yeah, we're progressive too. So, Yeah, exactly. I mean, you see them doing some, some great work with uh, the pushback against Bank of America when they introduced the credit, uh, the debit card fees. Uh, that was Change.org's work with an individual person that started a petition that got Bank of America to re- reverse the decision to charge a $5 monthly fee. So, so they, their credentials for for liberals and progressives has been pretty intact. But let's go to an article that ran in the in the Huffington Post, Aaron, and this is the response that came from Change.org, and the organization expressed its its concern. And I'm just going to go ahead and read their words here. At Change.org, we believe in open dialogue. We try to listen as we grow. We appreciate that the broader Change.org community cares enough about our company to weigh in, foster discussions, etc. And they went on to say that they were going to or working to expand their reach into different parts of the world where the progressive messaging of America may not be welcome. And Spock, let me let me get your reaction to that first. I mean, I was distressed to see the weenieing going on there. The whating? Weenieing. Oh. Or being weenies. <laughs> um, I, I look at that as a uh, spokesperson trying to not cut off any future expansion processes. And uh, if I, I, I'm guessing if we went back to that spokesperson, they would say, I might want to say that differently at this point. Where they're trying to get people to know is that some of the best progressive values are universal, perhaps. Um, but how they said it might not have been exactly the way they want it. So... Well, Aaron, up to this point, has, has Change.org been more overt in saying we are progressive, we are liberal? Is is this a sudden change in the wind from them? Uh, maybe a little bit, but I would caution uh, that. I mean, I think they're just uh, tiptoeing the line that they know that they need to be cautious while they move into uh, the various uh, Asian and uh, African and South American countries that they are. So I, I guess one thing this incident has helped us do is even though we can look at change.org as an ally, it's kind of helped to define for us the limits of them as an ally? That's for you, Aaron. Uh, quite possibly. It uh, be interesting to see uh, how they move down the road uh, with uh, some other labor unions. Uh, I, would, I would actually like to see some labor unions begin to more fully utilize uh, change.org and building up their own email list and using and sponsoring petitions on there just as a reward for good behavior. Good idea. Spaco? I concur. <laughs> we brought you in in part for your insight and in part for your radio voice. Exactly. <laughs> 
We're talking about the successes that we have had this week on the liberal front. We have a lot to celebrate. And we brought in our friend Spocko from Spocko's Brain to Analyze. And we've also been hearing from Aaron Krieger. He's a freelance writer with The Political is Personal. Aaron, it's been a pleasure, and I hope to bring you back again. Oh, thank you very much for having me. We'll come back with more in just a moment. I'm Angie Cuero. This is Indy. In Deep Radio is a production of Talkback Media. We are supported in part by our listeners. Talkback Media produces discussions on key political, social, and cultural issues available for live, digital, audio, and video venues. Learn more online at indeepradio.com. And if you are in a position to help us keep on the air, click one of the PayPal links on the side of the page. One-time gifts or a small monthly donation, whatever works for you. We appreciate it. Thanks. You're listening to Indie. I'm Angie Coyer. My guest is Spocko of Spocko's Brain. He's been with us before on the air analyzing the best ways to do activism. And some of those are less intuitive than they might seem. I really want you to go back to our website and listen to his initial podcast. You'll find a link there. It's indeepradio.com, where we talked about the efficacy of boycotts, especially with regard to what happened with Rush Limbaugh earlier this year and the ALEC boycotts that have been taking place. Some of these things that you'll be hearing from Spocko, again, are not intuitively obvious. This is actually quite a skilled game, and it's a game with very heavy-duty implications. This week, we are talking about some of our success Successes. And, and Spocko, our friends, the Yes Men, have, have popped in. For anyone not familiar, the Yes Men are so skilled at putting on corporate drag and looking like corporate wonders, but they show up as an exaggerated form to expose these people for what they're really doing. What was, what was this they pulled this week? Well, the one thing I love about the Yes Men is, is they understand funny helps. It makes it work afterwards. Uh, t- this week, they put together a uh, – it was basically they leaked – it looked like a leak – a a video of somebody who had infiltrated a Shell Oil event where they're celebrating the moving of this – drilling platform uh, to the Arctic. So it looked like it was a shell corporate event. And they showed this woman who was supposedly, we didn't really know what she was in the leaked video, going up to this little thing where they had turned the, the Arctic drilling uh, platform into a little fountain and she was going to get a drink of champagne or something from the fountain. Well, it malfunctioned and it squirted this juice all over her. And it was like, oh my God. And uh, it was just something about the corporation screwing up this event. It was the, the getting their comeuppance and getting like this goo squirted on this woman. And then in the video, it shows the guard coming, you know, get away. All right, you know, turn off, give me that phone like that. What they did, and you then click and you see the in that part of the video, that video went viral. I hate that phrase, going viral, but that's what it did. It was uh, like a lot of people like wanted to see it because it was funny and them getting their comeuppance. All right, then people started saying, "Well, was that real?" And the people at Shell had to put out a denial, saying that no, it wasn't. It was a false. That we didn't have an event like that at all. Then that's when the yes men came out and said. 
yes, it was a you know a hoax. And here's the behind the scenes stuff that it was done. You see that the woman who got the goo sprayed all over her, she was actually that woman who got pepper sprayed in Seattle. And 84-year-old woman. Yeah. And, and that photo went all around the world. Right. And then you start seeing this. What was the whole point of this? It was to show that this incredibly old drilling platform was built by the same people who did the deep ocean one that exploded is going to be hauled up to the Arctic to drill some more. And this was their way of showing them bringing this this platform up there in a way that was funny, that was interesting, and it got the message out to people. It's like, hey, Shell's doing this. Mm-hmm. I think the thing what to notice about this is two f- points. One, again, they didn't go to the media first. They sh- took it to other people. They said, go to your Facebook. This is funny. Look at this. Click on that. Ah, they got their comeuppance. The next thing is the media picked up the reaction and the response. And this is something I think sometimes we, we feel maybe bad when the, the, the corporations respond or somebody overreacts and, you know, we're going to sue you. Um, are you familiar with the, the Streisand effect? I've heard the phrase. I can't recall what it is. Okay. Uh, a while ago, Barbara Streisand, uh, it was quite a few years ago, somebody was taking photographs of the coast and they spotted – Barbara Streisand's home on there. And she went to sue and to stop those images from going out. Well, in the process of suing, everybody goes, oh, where is her home? (laughs) What does it look like? No, it's out there. And it suddenly, now everybody knew where she lived. So the Streisand effect sometimes can be very useful when somebody tries to either, you know, censor something or, or draw attention to something that they should have just left it alone. Now, could Shell Oil have, have ignored something so mammoth as this, though? Wouldn't it seem kind of odd if this went out there and they hadn't said anything? Well, they wouldn't ignore it. But what they did was what they try and do is to, like, stop it from going further in the news cycle. What they, they put out was a simple thing saying, this was a fraudulent thing. We never had this kind of event. It's a, you know, a thing like that. We believe in the power of goodness. And what was there's another subtle layer to this. Somebody, and I don't know who it was, started sent out a alert from Shell saying, We're going to sue these people. We're gonna sue the the whoever put together that video and we're gonna that wasn't from Shell. <laughs> that probably also might have been a yes man thing, which was we are also uh showing the hoax as we're taking it seriously and we're overreacting the way that we would you know, not do. Shell this would is not quite do. literally a shell game. You yeah. don't know where all the messages are coming from. Exactly. It's here, it's there, it's not Amadisium. And then so then Shell had to come out and say, no, we're not going to sue them. And, you know, again, it kept the story in the news, which is something Shell did not want. And then the media loves to write about those kinds of things. It's, it's the, uh, uh, it's out there now, as Digby likes to call the Cokie effect. You know, it's like, well, we got to talk about it. It's out there. So this is the kind of thing that, why did this one work? Well, one, because it was funny. I listened to the guy who was in charge of uh, YouTube's viral videos, and he said he gave a list of all the various different ones. And you look at, you know, eight out of ten of them are funny, and it's interesting. You're using 
an emotion or humor, just like the book burning people use the emotion of anger to get people to act. In this case, the action was simply to link at this, say, this is funny. Just look at this. This is hilarious. And then you educated people with the actual, what is this about? And that's something that the yes men are particularly good at. Now, trying to get activists and to understand that sometimes you need to have either humor, emotion, anything like that, that can get people to act is, is really important. And sometimes the conflict that comes out of, you know, pushing an action is great. And we, we want that conflict. Spocko is with Spocko's Brain. He's an analyst and corporate media advisor, and he knows the secrets to how all these things work and the things that potentially don't work. You know, one thing I think is worth noting about the Yes Men, and this is rarely true of the progressive liberal side, they seem to have some money. I don't know who their sponsors are. I don't know. These are professional-looking productions. Um, most people, when they're trying to move forward with a, pro- a political campaign, may not have access to that kind of funds. Is this something that can be accomplished on a smaller scale? Yes. Basically, it's yes. It's the understanding the principles of it. Now, for example, they had this whole big format set up with the party, and they had a little, little, you know, what do you call um, uh, ice sculpture with the Arctic stuff like that. But what really made it look, if they went out looking professional, then people would have instantly known it was a hoax, okay? So it's the, you know, the little camera thing. So if I was going to do this kind of event, I have to understand the principle. It is understanding the, the humor and the emotion to trigger it. How it gets distributed is, in some ways, if it looks too slick, it's going to be a problem. And so that is something that people can do at home. And us also, we talked earlier about you know change.org. If you look at change.org's petitions, they're also very an individual talking about an injustice and making it very clear how this is affecting you. And then they promote that in such a way that a lot of people see it, and then the media picks up. It, that's part of the thing that makes that work. In fact, that's been the commonality between the book-burning hoax and this, is that the mainstream traditional media comes in last. Correct. Interesting to note. We're going to continue our conversation with Spock, Spocko's Brain. You'll find links to his website at our place, indeepradio.com. I'm Angie Cuero, and uh, you can find all of our podcasts online there as well. You can follow us on Facebook, In Deep Radio, and you can follow us at In Deep Radio on Twitter.
It's in deep. I'm Angie Coyro. Thanks for tuning in for my conversation with Spaco, Spaco's brain. And he's done an awful lot of work in the realm of activism and uh, corporate media shaping of the message. Would that be right? The way one shapes message? Yes, shaping. <laughs> he also does some funny voices. You know, we were talking with Aaron a minute ago about the persistence of the message. It's for the children, you know. And, and when we talked about what's happening with the privatization of schools and the busting of the teachers' union, they often throw that cloak over them. It's for the children. And you're working on a local campaign, and, and I'm going to help you externalize that for the, uh, our listeners outside California. But there's an issue right in Golden Gate Park, which has turned into it's for the children. Correct. How do you fight that? And I, I, I think it's interesting because – Using children as your shield, your front shield, is fascinating from the point of view of Michelle Rees' organization called Students First. Like we wouldn't call it, you know, union busting for kids. Um, right now, we've got in San Francisco, there was a, uh, a, pr- a, process, a program that was going to turn seven acres of San Francisco's Golden Gate uh, Park into a stock soccer complex with artificial turf and lights that are 60 foot tall, the kind of lights that you would see at AT&T Park to light up a ball game. And this was a huge deal to the people who were um, going to say, why are we putting plastic in Golden Gate Park? Well, they wouldn't say we're putting this in here so we can have adult soccer leagues that we can generate revenue and we wouldn't say that oh the reason we're using artificial turf is because we have underfunded maintenance of our natural grass for the last you know 10 years that's not what they would say they would say it's for the children we want to have kids play soccer isn't that great and how can you go up against kids they had the organization brought in all of these kids from all over there, there, and they had them talk to the planning commission. The planning commission sees these adorable kids in the uniform saying, we don't want to play on the gopher holes. We'll trip on those and break our ankles. Of course not. Nobody would want to do that. It, it would, 
make no sense at all. So you've got these kids saying, yes, we like artificial turf. That's, and that's, you know, that's just immemorial. That has been going on since the start of politics where you find a position that no one can possibly argue with. You know, the Defense of Marriage Act. Who's against marriage? You know, this kind of smokescreen has gone on all the time. Why are we still so vulnerable to that? Well, I, I think it is – there's two things. One is they're using an emotion and they're using something that that we could all agree on. And that's what they'll start with. Instead – so that – and one of the things is changing the conversation. So you take it away from the kids. There's a couple different ways that you can do it. One in this Golden Gate Park uh, situation is we'll say, look – we don't like uh we love kids too you know we love them so much that we don't want them to you know to get sick from this toxic turf all right but that's you can't see that right away it's not immediate and for our radio listeners you can't visualize how bright these lights are going to be and i can say all right have you driven by at&t park have you driven by a big stadium you know how bright that is well envision that out by this nice dark area out by the ocean all right. And when the fog comes in, it's going to be really bright. All right. Now I can visualize that. I say, I don't think I would like that. So how do you combat how do you combat the, you know, the adorable kids? You say, well, it's really not about the kids. The kids will be done playing. They're home at dinner. It's the 10, 10 p.m. That's the leagues. That's where they get the adults in with the revenue. So, well, there is an alternative. Well, d- just south, about like uh, west, southwest of uh, Gonge Park, about eight blocks away, there is the West Sunset, you know, soccer fields. And they were going to have, you know, natural grass. And they're going to re- refurbish them. This, this is a done deal? Uh, yeah, it was. Okay. It, it, that, was, that was the next bond that was coming up. So we're saying, well, could we swap those two? Could we, you know, have the, uh, you want this artificial turf so much, could you put it over there? Uh, if you want the lights so much, could you put it over there and say, well, yeah, I guess so. Um, w- and then they come back and say, well, you said you didn't like turf. You didn't like it was toxic. I said, hey, we'll have natural turf there. I mean, I mean, we'll have artificial turf with a natural, not shredded rubber tires, but some like coconut shawls. And he said, you didn't like lights. I said, hey, appropriate lights for the neighborhood. They already have some lights there. We, you don't you don't need uh TV level AT&T Park lights either. You know what I'm hearing here, and this is something that disturbs me about modern conversations, <laughs> this old fogey here, but it, it just seems that often the broader brush carries the day so that the louder voice going, well, you said you didn't like lights and you try to switch to the more nuanced. No, proper lights in their proper places mm-hmm. are a good thing. It almost sounds to me like you've lost some people. As soon as you try to, right. if that's not splitting a hair, that's splitting a huge meatloaf. I mean, right. an, it's not petty. It's important. But any level of subtlety, you have to fight a little harder to get that out. Right. So what I say is you first have the big message. It's like, stop this in Golden Gate Park. We can swap with this other with this other playing field. And then everybody's happy. It's a win-win solution. That is as far as you need to go. And then, and if people want to go deeper, when they say, what are the actual facts behind it? Hey, we got all sorts of facts. We got a lighting expert here who can point this out. We can say, oh, we've got, you know, play time for the kids. We can work this out. That is the point where you start getting into detail. The media, they're happy with the upfront conflict, you know, to say, what's this going to happen? There's a lot of education that goes behind it, but you have to have the upfront messages and you get the people who were 
telling the story before who are saying this is bad for the environment, it's bad for the birds, it's bad for the dark skies. There's all these kind of things that are subtle. You can tell that story all over again and you want to evoke that same emotion. The people who are want the kids to play, you say, oh, we like kids play too. And did you ever ask the kids, do they like playing better on natural turf? Well, so rarely do any of the kids ha have any experience playing on a well-maintained field. And this goes back to government and the privatization. Government doesn't like to pay for ongoing maintenance. Private corporations don't like to pay for ongoing maintenance either. They want to have their name on a stadium. They want to have the, you know, the ability to say, come on down and look at this wonderful uh, thing. They don't want to say, let's look at this gopher hole ridden field. Now, now, is the appetite of the government to save money on maintenance and the appetite of corporations to have their name on things something you would bring up publicly in the argument, or is that just the background you need to know, but you're not going to make it front and center? Exactly. It's, it's background stuff. It's behind it. I, I found out information about, well, why can't the government, uh, well, the bond only pays for construction. Oh, okay. Well, could you get the corporate funder to do something like, uh, fund a chair for a professional greenskeeper. It's like, well, that's an interesting idea. That would might be kind of nice, but it's not as flashy. They can't go back and say, well, we've got a professional greenskeeper and a team. They'll wear a hat, you know, that says, you know, paid for by these, you know, fields organizations. This child bought by. <laughs> and and by the way, I found this exact same problem happening with the golf courses in San Francisco. Somebody, a corporation, might come along and you know fund this. But they would not pay to fix the fields up in the first case unless there's some kind of maintenance money. And the city doesn't want to pay for the maintenance money. So this, I think, is, a, is an activism thing about uh, the most boring topic of all, infrastructure and maintenance. We, as we saw with the people with the Troy Michigan Library, they said, how can we make something that's, you know, maybe boring funding libraries uh, important? Uh, when we saw that gave people a visual image, mm -hmm. it gave them an action that they could do, and it was an immediate, they set like a ticking clock. So right now, we're, you know, the group that I'm, I'm working with, they're saying, how do we go out and tell people the park will be paved over and these gigantic lights will be on if they can't visualize it first. Well, you have to like give them visual images. You have to tell them the things and also say, it's not about the kids. You know, the kids, hey, they've got this other alternative here. Plus, kids, they would like to actually play on well-maintained fields. Well, and the element that comes up in the book burning video and the book burning activity uh, and for anyone who didn't hear that, it was the opening story in our show. I really urge you to check it out. You can get our whole podcast at IndeepRadio.com. And this is a Troy library that was saved by a very fancy hoax campaign by a major advertising agency. And what they did, rather than talk about whether the library should garner more taxes, they talked about a book burning. And eventually, once everybody was riled up about this planned book burning, they revealed this is a hoax. You might as well burn the books if you're not going to support the library. So that's the backstory on that. But one of the things about the book burning video is that at the end of it, you see that not only did they get people riled up and involved, they got them to the polls. 
they had more than 300% increase over their standard number of voters. And when you're talking about a localized issue like this, you know, be it Golden Gate Park or be it for someone listening to our Monterey audience and they've got something going on there or Washington, D.C., there's that tough extra step. You can get people riled up behind their computers, but getting them to suit up and show up is another key. I, I think so. But you also notice in that book burning thing, it was like the the win in some ways was the all the Facebook comments, you know, the, the, the people um, going there and making a comment, being upset about this. Uh, we were talking about, do we, do we put people out there and start saying now? And I say, yes, we want to have people start commenting to their supervisors, you know, tweeting them saying, you know, save Golden Gate Park, you know, do the alternative solution. We want people to talk with their neighbors about this on their Facebook page. The actual vote, the actual appeal that was filed by this organization is going to be July 10th. And we'll say, show up for that. That would be great. But one of the things that I know the people in Troy found out is that decisions get made in advance of these meetings. They want to start percolating and saying, how many people, how many numbers of people are upset about this? The other thing that I, I oftentimes think about, and I have, there are other strategies for that, is saying, what will the money people say? Will they whisper into the ears of the supervisor, say, you know what? If we don't get to have our super bright lights in AstroTurf, we're going to walk. And then they'll go, oh, we'll lose the whole deal, you know. And they use their financial, they'll, they'll dangle out their money. Well, why would you not use, uh, why would you not go to this other location? Why would you not go with the lower lights? What they won't tell you is, is like, you know, if I don't get my way, I'll take my balls and go home, my mm -hmm. soccer balls and go home. Thank and, you for clarifying. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. I know this is a family radio show. Um, but that aspect of it, the behind the scenes, you know, understanding the way that money works in politics, and sometimes it is you have to be able to look at it and say, is there a way for them to save face? Is there a way for them to say, oh, okay, you know, we're, 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 we're behind this and, and we, can, we can change, we can do this. A lot of times when I talked about, you know, corporations and, you know, boycotts and not boycotts that don't work, I want to give the corporations a face saving out to give them a way to get what they want um, but also to make sure that the city gets what, you know, the people get what we want as well mm -hmm. in terms of protection. Which goes back to, it's an old standard, but it's true. If you can make it a win-win. Exactly. If you can make it, you know, I, I wanted to touch something before we, we closed. And, and this is a great segue to that because something that happened this past week that was a victory for the liberals was Barack Obama deciding that he would push ahead with whatever portion of the DREAM Act could be pushed ahead by a president who's stymied by the Congress. He couldn't get the whole DREAM Act through, and he stood in front of people, and he said, we're going to do this much. We're going to make sure that the kids who are here have a track to their dream. It's interesting that when you look at that, it, it defies our other instances in a number of ways. One is, it's a victory that ultimately came, we heard about it through the mainstream media. We didn't see a lot of campaigning and tweeting in the immediate past. But the other thing is... It, he had reached a point where letting the other side take a little bit of win with them wasn't worth it anymore. And I think he just, at that point, he said, 
you can go to the Republicans and say, look, you do this and we'll get that. And if they say no often enough, it's time to walk away and say, I'm taking this much win. Is that true in activism, too, that at some point you tell the other guys, I've done everything I can with you. Now I'm going to go public with what I can win with. That's a tough question. I'm not clear what the answer is. Okay. <laughs> I, well, we're also we're all not president either. I wanted yeah. to acknowledge the victory, but I also right. wanted to say, you know, this is very different than these grassroots things that bubbled up from the bottom. This was the guy at the top in the long wake of those finally saying, here's what we're going to do. Right. Um, you know, when I, when I think about uh, overarching activism, and, and Aaron was, um, he, he talked about, you know, a specific thing with uh, with uh, Michelle Rees' organization. Aaron Prager, who we talked yeah, to earlier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which its name is Students First. It's already start off right off the bat. The premise is setting us up wrong. Um, naming things is important. When you look at all of the different kinds of activism stuff, I often wonder what is effective in different ways. Sometimes effective is getting in the media. That isn't the only thing that we want to do. When in this decision that that Obama was is actual change actually happened something you know laws passed things were done it wasn't just oh we got a good media story and that I think is something that you occasionally have to say you know did we win did we get the uh, the thing stopped did we get the thing moved those kinds of things sure we got a great story about it but in the we actually want to have some 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 action something you know. Money changed hands. Bills were signed. Those are the things that you want to have as well as great media. There was a Pew, I think it was a Pew study done a while ago that showed how much of the energy of nonprofit groups were spent just to get in the media. And I, it was a tremendous amount of energy and money that got spent. And I would sometimes think is you may not need to do that as much anymore is if you can get all of your people to start doing it and that the media then will notice this stuff as something that is done. And it's, you know, it's interesting because the definition of what is mainstream media is changing. We're starting to be the mainstream media. Spocko, we're out of time. It's been a joy. Thank you so much. Thanks. Spocko of Spocko's Brain. He's an activist and media analyst and consultant. And that's a wrap for our show this week. Our executive producer is Gordon Whiting. Our engineer is Matt Fiddler. Assistant production help from Cindy Myers. You can hear more of Aaron Krager on our web extras along with Gotta Laugh at InDeepRadio.com. Jill Fiddler is queen of the world. Our incredible interns are Forrest Phillips, Kristen Stevens, and Megan Mena. Follow us on Twitter, InDeepRadio. Our theme is by Big Troubles. Closing theme by David Gans. And we will see you next week. Thanks for listening. I'm Angie Coiro. With other people's private parts. They want us to do what they say. But I'd rather live my own damn way. We'll take our culture back someday. But it's going to get worse before it gets better. It's going to get worse before it gets better. It's going to get worse before it gets better. But I know it's going to get better.
Thanks for tuning in this week to In Deep with Angie Claro, a production of Talkback Studios. You can get more information about us at indeepradio.com. And while you're there, you can become a member and support our work. There's a link there to contact us, too, with any questions or feedback. We're developing a series on mental health issues in our country, especially in this economy, and we'd love to have you be part of that. Please send us your topic suggestions, your stories, and your questions through our website. Click the contact button at indeepradio.com. Join us again this time next week for two more hours of in-depth conversation. I'm Angie Carr. We'll see you then. You're listening to WPWC, 1480 AM, Dumfries, Virginia. We Act Radio, home of Washington's progressive working community.